Good morning. I know that we're good at multitasking, and I hope that you'll consider the importance of that in the next two months or so. Two weeks from today begins our vacation Bible school, and the elders have really challenged us to invite others to be here ourselves and to make this an impact, not just on our children, but on this community. So I hope that you're thinking of ways that you can be engaged in that. Uh, There have been sign-up sheets. I know that David is uh, willing and ready to handle the onslaught of volunteers that are going to help in various ways. And so be praying about that and working toward its success. Up over the horizon, I don't want you to lose sight of another important event that's coming. We are having an in-house seminar. It is not to be confused with a gospel meeting Uh, We will be inviting uh, area congregations on Friday and Saturday night, but it falls in line with our theme for 2023, and that's equipping everyone for eternity. We have a very talented and qualified man, David Sproul, who is coming here to share with us in some areas that are challenge areas for us, areas in which uh, he and his long ministry at the Palm Beach Lakes Congregation In West Palm Beach, Florida, they have excelled. They can help us. That's what we should exist for in the body of Christ, to help one another in areas where we need to shore up and uh, to encourage others through the things that we're trying to do to please and glorify God. As we grow, as we look to the future, I know that this will be very helpful. Well, I think I have used the line from Jude before about how I was intending to go one direction and then I went another. I know you have a sermon note sheet. You can file that away. Hopefully that will be useful at some point in the near future. But in fairness and self-defense, the sermon I'm about to preach was what I intended to preach originally. And so what you see in the bulletin, that was the, uh, the, the call, the audible, that I'm going to just call it again. You think about a safe harbor. A safe harbor is a place of shelter. It is a place of safety that is useful with regard to a literal ship. And yet, if you know anything in various industries, this term is a term that has been co-opted and used in different fields. The idea of a safe harbor is found in legal terms and in financial terms. It's even used in genetics and in the entertainment industry. And it is a phrase that is used to depict actions or conduct or even speech that is protected. But this morning I want to talk about the safe harbor that our homes need to be. They need to be a place of shelter and safety that protects everybody that makes up that home. When we look to the scriptures, there is a very interesting occasion You think about how some major events seem only to have a little bit of space in Scripture. But for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit moves Luke to dedicate an entire chapter to a shipwreck. And that's Acts chapter 27. And you may remember that the conditions were not ideal, that they would leave Caesarea and try to go to Rome on the Mediterranean Sea in that time of year because of the storms that tended to come. And in fact, Luke gives us some of the terms, some of the issues that they were facing. They were fighting contrary winds, verse 4 and verse 7, that the sailing was slow and difficult, verse 7 and verse 8. And Luke outright says it was a dangerous voyage, verse 9. 
In fact, Paul, very vocal, is speaking among that 275 passenger ship and he would say that he realized that if they made this journey that it would result in great damage and loss of the cargo and the ship but also of our lives. But the centurion, who was the man in charge on that occasion, he was more influenced by the pilot and by the captain. And so they proceed over those rough waters. Of course, at times, it was not so bad. And early on in the journey, Luke makes an observation that really doesn't have a connection with the outcome. In verse 12, he says that they passed by and didn't stop because it was an unsuitable harbor. The idea of that word unsuitable is that it's unsustainable, it's unusable. That it's not suited or fitted for a particular purpose. And as I read that phrase, it makes me think that all of our homes are either suitable or they're unsuitable for the folks who make it up to make it to heaven. You know, the book of Psalms is a very diverse book. And in the book of Psalms, in Psalm chapter 127, you have Solomon who speaks and he says, Unless the Lord builds the city... They labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord keeps the house, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain to rise up early and to stay up late and to eat the bread of painful labor because he, God, gives to his beloved even in their sleep. Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Psalm 127. Some, when they look at this psalm, say that this looks like two psalms that were stitched together. It appears that Solomon is writing about two disjointed ideas, but I don't think so. The first part of this psalm has to do with the importance of God being involved in any labor, anything that's going to be useful And productive, ultimately, God's got to be involved. And the second part of that psalm seems to indicate that there is no labor that we will ever engage in on this earth that is more important and that is in more need of God's help than what we do in the home. How do we make our homes a safe harbor? Would you agree with me that there are troubled seas that are brewing in our culture and in our world? Some of them are ancient and unchanging. Some of them are peculiar to our times. And yet God has entrusted us with a unit, the family, the home. And he wants us to secure all those who make it up. No matter how the waters are, if they're turbulent or calm. For a safe harbor, at least there are four things that need to take place. First of all, for there to be a safe harbor, there has got to be a right shelter in a troubled sea. We've already mentioned that this world is full of troubled seas. When we think in literal terms about a safe harbor, it's going to be a port or an inlet. Or it's going to be a body of water that's protected from heavy seas by land. It is a place where a ship can go and not fear the turbulence that's going on all around it. When we think about the task that we have in the home, God is entrusting us with putting and instilling in the hearts of our home a worldview that's biblical in an increasingly anti-biblical world. 
We need to deeply burn within the hearts of all those who make up the home the conviction that Christianity can stand up to every challenge that it faces in the marketplace of ideas. When we think about the biblical concept that God has set up for the home, He wants us to understand a very basic framework that helps us to know how to proceed, how to shelter our families in those troubled seas. And it really revolves around something that God tells us in the first three chapters of the Bible. He sets the stage for the next 1186 by what he tells us in the beginning. What we see there is that God has given us this grid of creation and the fall and redemption. You know, from the time of Greek philosophers, Western civilization has tried to suggest that a child should be taken care of by the state rather than the family. And every literal attempt to improve on the Genesis account has led to coercion and has led to a totalitarian state. And the reason is because of their view of creation, the fall, and redemption. When we look at the world apart from God, it denies that there is a creator. It suggests that we should redefine what the Bible calls sin... And we need to reject this idea that we are somehow broken and in need of redemption. And yet the Bible makes it very clear for us to understand how to give shelter in the time of storms in our homes. We've got to understand and work from that framework. First of all, God has created us and in doing so apart from everything else, God has made us in his image. That we are made special and we look like and we are to follow God. And he's also showed us that life is more than about this physical world. And so out of that we were created. But then out of the freedom of choice that we were given there was a fall. And he points out when and how this occurred with our first parents in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Or as the Apostle Paul would say, for by one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And yet right on the heels of that, God comes along with the solution. And he tells us that redemption is promised. And for the rest of the Old Testament until he comes, when the Christ comes into the world, we're going to have the redemption that's promised. And as we take that approach in our homes, we help to elevate a sense of purpose. And we get to look at life through this objective view of right and wrong. But when you look at the alternative that's being pushed by those in control of every generation, it's the opposite. It, It breeds some idea that fights against creation, the fall, and redemption. And yet there still has to be some answer given to how do we get here in the first place in this world? And what went wrong in this world? And how do we make this world right again? And when we don't come from the biblical framework, we set on our homes a tsunami and a hurricane that destroys our homes. The, the, the prevailing idea that we have been struggling with that really impacts our homes all the time, that are those rough waters that we're trying to shelter our family from, is evolution. And in the last 150 years, this competing mindset has produced what Daniel Dennett calls a universal acid. And it corrupts everything and it bleeds into every discipline of life and affects how we see everything. It is, of course, that which would deny the biblical picture of Genesis 1 through 3. And yet it is an idea without God in the center of it that has to be taught to our children at the earliest of ages. 
They preach the ideas of this anti-God view through our education and through our entertainment. And yet if we're not careful, even the books that we have on the shelves in our home have assumed these ideas to be true. And the entertainment that we allow is preaching these ideas. God wants us to be vigilant with our eyes open so that we can see these attacks that come from without and through that provide a shelter. To look at life as the psalmist says in Psalm 91, to see God as the shelter of the Most High, as we abide in the shadow of the Almighty, to be able to say, My God is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He is our shelter in the time of storms. And we can show in our homes that through this picture of God who created us in His image, who knew we would fall and provided a promise with our redemption is the God that we serve in our homes. The God who had the power to make the earth, who had the wisdom to make the world, who stretched out the the heavens through His understanding, Jeremiah 10 and verse 12. What a difference it makes when we lead our families to depend on God, even on the onslaught of the troubled seas of this world. But it's not just a defensive thing that we do. For a safe harbor, we also have got to have navigable waters. If you think about a safe harbor, the waters need to be deep and wide and calm so that that boat or that ship can come in and find safety. And there need to be as few impediments as possible that would provide a danger for the craft as it comes in. God has the home designed in that way. God wants us to lead our homes through those calm waters. And then he shows us how to do that. You know, Moses writes in the great Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, a challenge to us that comes along with a great responsibility. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day, they shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children when you sit in your house and when you walk in the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And they shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontal on your forehead and you shall write them on the post of your house and on your gates. I see in that a practical guide that can help us in our homes to provide navigable waters. It begins with a proactive plan. We have got to think ahead about how we're going to keep our families safe as the turbulent waters of society continue to brew. To not worry about that. Because of the proactive plan that certainly Moses puts forward for us. The proactive plan is that we're going to think about each and every day through all that we do, through all the circumstances that arise. We're going to put the spiritual spin on that. We're going to point them back to God and see that God it can be learned in whatever this situation is. That wherever I am, if I'm in my home, or if I have my family, and we're out among the the larger part of society, we're going to make sure that they see God in it. If we are going to successfully provide navigable waters, that proactive plan has got to be a plan that's going to make it onto our calendar. It must be something that reflects itself in our budget. And it must be something that is revealed by tangible steps that we take. If we don't plan in some way deliberately to show God in the various circumstances of life, then we plan for frustration and failure. 
The idea is in the steps of achievement that you must plan purposefully, that you must prepare prayerfully, you must proceed positively, and you must pursue persistently. So says William Ward in those four steps of achievement, help us in our home. We have a proactive plan that makes sure that there is, we serve like a tugboat to pull our children through those turbulent waters to safety. We also will emphasize spiritual activities to have navigable waters. Many of us have in our background that we loved and we participated in sports, but if it's not sports for you, it's some extracurricular activity, and it really doesn't matter what that is. There are similar intentions with all of those things. Why do we get our kids involved in those different matters? We want them to understand the concept of teamwork. We want them to appreciate the value of hard work. I mean, it's as simple as we want them to build social skills, and a lot of times it will even help them to get into college. And we may use multiple areas in which we can get them involved to build those things that we want them to have. But what emphasis, what priority are we making to spiritual activities? May I suggest that we need to have the same approach because this is even more important than any competing activity. We need to consider how we can get our children involved and our homes involved in reaching out and doing tangible things, tangible ways to serve. Maybe it's raking or maybe it's baking or some other way that we can demonstrate to them how important it is for us to do for others, to produce for their good. Or what about, I know that as society changes, this is not as uh, uh, frequently done, but what about taking our families together and going into the homes, into the hospitals of our elderly and our sick members and ministering to them? Or what about practicing hospitality where we open up our homes and we demonstrate to them that the church, that Christianity is not just formal, that there's a personal relationship that we should have and build with one another away from the building? When you look at Moses and you see what he does here, he demonstrates the importance of the spiritual. That's what he places the emphasis on. As we pursue God with all that we are, this is going to be an outgrowth of that. But not only that, we've got to exemplify what it is that we want them to do. You know, Moses says in the sequence of events that these things first should be in your heart and then you teach them unto your children. Even in Proverbs 22 and verse 6 where Solomon says, Train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it. How do we best train? May I suggest to you that there's no more effective way for us to teach our children the way that they should go than to demonstrate it. How do we demonstrate it? It is something as fundamental and as simple as our faithful attendance at the assemblies of the church. To let them know that that God and His people and the worship of God is our priority. And so whenever we can, whatever it might cost us in some other area, we're going to be here when the doors are open. But it goes beyond that, certainly. It goes to our saying, look, we're going to be not content just to sit. We're going to do. And so we're going to be involved in the work of the church. And then beyond that, we are going to demonstrate that we see the church as our family. And we're going to make it a very much a part of our lives. We're going to minister to the people of God. And by doing that, we show them by our actions. And not just by the teaching that we do. 
that how you have navigable waters into that safe harbor is by taking these proactive steps. There was a famous judge, Sam Tatum, those of you who are older may remember him, that uh, this juvenile court judge used an illustration on several occasions. In juvenile court, he got to see families in their worst circumstances. He was also an accomplished fly fisherman. And one day, when he was out fly fishing and he was wading and he was casting, he accidentally kicked with his boot the sandbar. And to the surface came six newborn turtles. They began to swim for all that they were worth. They began to think about those turtles. And what he said is that these turtles had no idea who their father and their mother were. That one day the mother came along and she laid those eggs in the warm sand and she went off with her life just as it was before. They never knew that they needed, they never knew that they had a mom and dad. But how different the human family is. From the day that we're born... We depend on our moms and our dads to help us, to guide us, to teach us, and to show us how to make it safely home. And so as we look at this safe harbor that God wants our homes to be, we need to provide navigable waters. But we also have got to have safe moorings. Uh, Safe moorings would be a rope or a chain or an anchor that helps to keep the boat where it is from slipping out of the safety of the harbor. And when we think about the safety of the anchor that we need in our homes, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 27 again. And I want you to see that while things don't turn out very well for Paul and the rest of those passengers, what he does helps us to have a spiritual anchor. You see, the point is, as we look at society and we see the timbers of civility and we see the planks of morality and the mast of critical thinking, maybe they're breaking apart in those dark and turbulent seas. Despite all of that, as it's going on around us, we can have the safe moorings in our home as we anchor down. Do you realize that Paul and the others, because of Paul, had that safety even as the ship was literally breaking apart? How can we have a spiritual anchor no matter what happens financially, socially, or physically? Well, Paul shows us. The first thing we do is we listen to God's Word. That's what he did. Paul listens to God and while everybody else is losing their head all around him, the Apostle Paul keeps his because he's listened to what God has told him. He says, God said to me that I must appear before a Caesar and so I have delivered for you all of these lives that are with you. You know, God offers us all kinds of promises. If we'll follow his pattern and we'll do things the way he has told us, listening intently, That we have given ourselves the very best way possible to survive the storms that are going to come. But he also believed God's word. It was more than just listening. You know, there's one thing to comprehend, to hear something that's said and to know that it's said, but it's something else to put your trust in it. I've not been in a situation like this. It's hard to imagine being on a ship and knowing that the, the, the weather's deteriorating and the wind and the waves are battering that and knowing that the ship is going to ultimately break apart. But what God has told him is that he was going to make it safely through. He put everything, all of his trust in that. He says, I believe, verse 25, that it will be just as God has told me. May I encourage you in that? While you may be hearing something different outside of what God says in His Word, 
Will you trust that if you listen to what God's Word says and you believe that, that He will deliver you? doesn't mean always that things are going to go perfectly. But it does mean that God can help us no matter how great the storm is. He also encouraged hope. And again, I have a hard time understanding how with all that was being pushed against him, the contrary winds, that the Apostle Paul could not only be courageous himself, but on two different occasions, from verse 21 to 26, he would say to everybody else, keep up your courage. Why? How? Because we are tethered to the anchor of hope. That is Christ and His will and His word. And so the Apostle Paul encourages hope, but he also warns the disobedient. In verse 31 and verse 32, you have some who are trying to go away from what God says. They're going to take matters into their own hands. They're going to escape and leave everybody else to take care of themselves. And Paul says, you can't do that. That's not going to work. This is the less pleasant part of what we do in the home, but that is to say, look, we've got to hold each other accountable. Mom, can you hold Dad accountable for being the spiritual leader that he needs to be? Do it lovingly. Don't do it as a nag. But you owe it to him spiritually to help him to stand up and be what God wants him to be. Dads, can you encourage moms to nurture and to teach and to encourage in the home as they keep that home, Titus 2 and verse 4, as a part of that to nurture and encourage the growth spiritually of the children? And parents, can you keep your kids accountable? To what we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. Can we help them to see when they're not going the way that they should that this is what God has planned because He wants what's best for us? And here's the hard part Parents, can you bear it? If your kids call you out on inconsistency and say, We need to put first things first, let's work together and encourage when perhaps one or more of us are not doing what we need to do in the home for safe moorings. But he also prayed faithfully. This is remarkable that this safe mooring came not only in listening to what God said, but it came in his expressing himself and his dependency upon God. And it's interesting in verse 35, the prayer that's recorded is actually a prayer before the meal. They had gone without food and he tells them one last time before the shipwreck occurs, take some food and he leads them in prayer. Who's on the boat? Are there, are there a few Christians? Yes. Are, are, are there mostly those who are, are pagan? Absolutely. And yet heedless of that, the Apostle Paul is willing to courageously show his dependency and reaching out to God for guidance. And of course, as we look at all of Paul's life, we see that that was his mode of operation. He's always appealing to God. We want our homes to have safe moorings, to be anchored. You'll notice in verse 13 that they weighed anchor. And in verse 17, they cast away the anchor, but neither of those anchors saved them. The anchor that saved them was God and His Word. And as we think of our homes and trying to get us to that safe harbor, that's the anchor that's going to help us, no matter what storms are blowing. But finally, a safe harbor requires protection from hazards. This makes sense. It's not safe if there are hazardous conditions that exist. And when you think about what could keep a vessel from being safe or anything that makes up the harbor, it might be fire, it may be explosion, it may be leaking or damage or illness to the crew. And so it is when it comes to our homes. We've got to protect them from hazards. 
This is some of the less pleasant things that we may bring upon our homes from within. But God, in pointing that out to us, shows us a better way even in that. One of the hazards that can really hurt our homes from being a safe harbor for the folks that make it up is strife. All the days of the afflicted are bad. But a cheerful heart, that's the one that has that peace, is free from that turmoil. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is than an ox fattened and served with hatred. When we think about one who is quick to, to anger, this is one who is going to stir up strife. But the one who is slow to anger calms a dispute. Proverbs 15, 15 through 18. Or better is a dry morsel in quietness therewith than a house full of feastings with strife. Proverbs 17 and verse 1. Think about what it is to have a home environment where there's constant friction and fighting and volatility. You see, strife by definition is a difference of opinion. Are we going to have those in the home? Yes. But strife is that which comes along with antagonism and hostility. Where there doesn't seem to be love and kindness that showed. And unfortunately too often the home environment is full of fighting and strife and struggling. And those who make up the home just can't wait to escape from that. So often sometimes it's mom and dad, husband and wife, who are at one another and they're constantly fighting. This is a hazardous condition that will not provide a safe harbor for our home and so often those habits perpetuate to the next generation. So as we think about the safe harbor of our homes, God wants it to be free of strife. And then there's worldliness. I know a very broad category. But when you think about worldliness, it's a focus on this world and on this life. With a a focus on the pleasures of this life. God wants us to memorize and internalize some principles that can help us to look beyond this life and what it has to offer. Jesus says in Mark 8, 36, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Paul in Galatians 6.14 would say, But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. 1 John 2.17 And the things of this world pass away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do you remember not long ago that there was a couple in Owensboro that sold the the daughters or tried to sell the the woman's 15-month-old daughter for $3,000 in an SUV? in order to pay fines that the boyfriend had had for previous offenses. And we listen to that and we think that's appalling. But God wants us vigilant that we don't encourage our children to sell themselves into sin and worldliness in order to get popularity or a financial success or gratification. God indicates to us through His Son in John 17 that we're in this world but not of it. And when we do that, we keep our homes from hazardous conditions. One other that we'll deal with is neglect. Boy, don't I know. Having watched three boys grow up that you may think you know all that's going on in the home, but you're missing a whole lot more than you think, and they will trickle that information out for the rest of your lives. The things that they did on your watch. You know, neglect is going to happen. Maybe it doesn't happen in your home. It happened a little bit in ours. But when I think about the difference between the inevitable, especially as they grow and they get more independence and they make their own decisions 
and we're helping them toward that end, that's different from us not spending time checking in each and every day to find out how it's going with them spiritually. The thing is, that's a challenge because life comes at us so fast and we are drawn into so much that keeps us busy. But the spiritual preparation of our family to prepare them to stand before Christ in the judgment, there's nothing more important than that. When we consider that that can be a challenge, we think about Noah. And God encourages us. Because here is a man in such adverse spiritual conditions who was the one who was building the ark and who was out preaching to those who were outside that it's possible no matter what we have going on to get our family to go on to that place of safety. There are hazardous conditions. And I think perhaps all of us may struggle from time to time in thinking that maybe we've got this all figured out, that it's not so difficult after all. Or maybe I won't fall prey to this. We've got this well in hand. You know, I think about some individuals that you are probably familiar with on site, at least two of them. The guy up in the top left is, a, is Steve Irwin, the crocodile hunter. Do you remember that? I mean, he kind of burst on the scene. Some of you guys won't know that, but some of us do. Who can remember? He had that show, this, the Australian, and he probably handled more dangerous uh, animals in more scary situations in his lifetime than anybody. There were so many times when you would see what was going on, you'd think there's no way he's going to keep from getting bitten or eaten. And yet he continued to defy the odds until he was out simply snorkeling in the Great Barrier Reef in a very freak accident, was killed. Or you may think of Siegfried and Roy, Roy Horn, Worked with exotic animals for nearly three decades, getting them to do some incredibly amazing tricks. Nothing prepared him for what happened, was unprepared in 2003, when a tiger dragged him across the stage and permanently altered the course of his life. And then there was Timothy Treadwell. Timothy Treadwell made it his mission to try to get everybody to believe that humans and grizzly bears could coexist with one another. And so he spent 13 summers among the grizzlies camping in their vicinity and coexisting with them. But he met a very tragic end. Six years after he published that book, that apologetic for that mindset. Now I remind myself of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I want to make sure that I'm vigilant to, to keep the hazardous conditions that exist from harming my home. It's a job that we do 24 hours a day. It's a job, thankfully, that God helps us with. He's given us the guidance and the instructions to do that, but it's one in which we can't take our foot off the gas, so to speak. Your kids do sleepovers and you send them to people's houses and you want to make sure that where they go is a place where they'll be kept safe and free from harm. If you have any doubt about that, you're not going to send them. But I think about what God has done for us. He has allowed our, us to have children. He has sent us those children from Him to us. And He expects us to keep them safe because He wants us to return them to Him safely. I think about King David. Do you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 18... 
on the occasion in which his rebellious son has now been finally put down. He doesn't know it yet, but it's too late. And the question that he asked, but two messengers come, and he asks the same question twice. In Second Samuel 18 and verse 29, he says, Is the young man Absalom safe? But David had not made his home a place of spiritual safety for his son. But God provides us all the instructions we need to do that. Because he wants us, all of us, to make it in that safe harbor. And what God provides for us is something better than physical safety from a literal storm. In John chapter 8 and verse 51, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say unto you that whoever abides in my word shall never taste death. That's what God wants for each of us. If you can imagine what we've tried to depict today, each of us with our little vessels out on that great sea, as we think about the storms that have taken so many, we can make it through because we serve the one who calms the storms. The one who through his very life and his death, his burial and resurrection makes safety a possibility. It's what God wants for each and every one of us in our homes. And maybe it is that we've got to tighten up a few things. Maybe it is that we need to encourage one another. Maybe it is that we need to have that discussion in our homes. Someone has said that home is earth's sweetest picture of heaven. Of all the ways that God describes heaven... Is there any better than home? And God wants you as a part of that home. Perhaps this morning the need for you is to become a part of God's family and to be in that home of the soul. Will you respond to His grace by obedient faith to become His child? Phil's going to lead us in a song of invitation to encourage you in that regard. Maybe you're a child of God and your home is, is not where... You want it to be, or perhaps you as a member in that home need to make some changes. God is so gracious. He is a kind and loving Heavenly Father. And He longs more than anything for things to be as they should. Maybe you have a need to respond. If it is your need, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?